Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. We have two people with us today, Suzanne Willett and Jacob Lockheim. Suzanne has been producing for over 10 years with shows in New York and the first women's festival in Florida, the New Seeds Festival, for four years. She produced the New Seeds Festival, the only festival in the Southeast to focus on thought-provoking female performing arts. Suzanne is currently the producer of 10C at Silverglass Productions, a physical theater-based movement group in New York City. 10C takes concepts from science and transforms them into psychosocial domain. They are doing a show called Life, which explores the effects of artificial intelligence on human life. Um, They're looking at the Prometheus Effect, Human Identity and Machine Bias. Jacob uh, is a co-director of hers. He's an actor, singer, and performer based in New York City. His love for singing <laughs> led him to SUNY Purchase. He graduated in 2013. He's also graduated from SITI Conservatory Training Program. City uh, Conservatory. Ah, uh, City Conservatory Training Program. And currently is a co-director of Life, which is part of the Silver Glass production. So welcome both of you to the show. Cindy's will be jumping on soon. She's just finishing up a meeting uh, in Philadelphia. So hopefully she'll jump on soon. Thanks for having us on, Stacy. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for having us. So I know there's two of you, so we'll kind of jump back and forth. How did both of you get involved into theater? And have you always been backstage directory or more on stage? Um, do you, for me, I have a, like a little bit of a circuitous route. I started in comedy about 20 years ago and, uh, then I branched out into solo work and then I, um, went into playwriting. So that's kind of how I, uh, that's been my journey. Yeah. Did you grow up doing theater or you got into theater later? No, not at all. In fact, the first time I was put on stage, um, they put me in for this girl in grade school. <laughs> it was like fourth grade. And I was so I was so horrified that I had to stand in front of people. I put like this uh, bouquet in front of my face and spoke my lines. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you get from that to doing comedy if you're so afraid? Like, I, I'm still like that. I still don't go on stage in a group of people. I would think Catholic school in the army. That would kind of do it. (laughs) Interesting combination. Okay. Uh, Jacob, how about you? Uh, Yeah, I've uh, kind of always been a bit of a performer. I I started really young with um, choirs and things and then in high school doing more of that along with uh, drama classes and uh, I think as, as I talked with, um, Cynthia a little bit, I, I wound up with a, a wonderful voice teacher and, and, uh, moved from Tucson to, uh, New York to attend, uh, opera conservatory at SUNY Purchase and wound up doing that. But, 
was more interested in in like theater overall. So I, I shifted gears to minor in that and major in um, uh, theater and performance or drama studies. Uh, and then I, I uh, also decided to then join a couple of years later. Um, I wasn't like doing as much as I wanted to do and wasn't finding the community I wanted to find. So I, I wound up joining the um, city conservatory and was in their uh, third conservatory program. Uh, which is a fabulous program that um, was started by City Company. Um, most well-known, probably the, their director is Ann Bogart, who's the head of directing at Columbia and uh, wonderful, wonderful actors and performers and training in, in their techniques of Suzuki uh, and viewpoints. So, and that's kind of led me, that led me to do some training with Suzanne and that's kind of how we met. Yeah. Um, and I've always been, I've always been a bit of a performer, little directing here and there, but mostly, mostly uh, front and center. <laughs> it looks like Cindy's jumped on. Uh, yeah, Cindy, yeah. Cindy, do you have anything yeah. over okay. you there? Yeah, we can hear you. Excellent. Yeah, um, good, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the office at Upper Philadelphia, so I don't have my big earphones with me. So I was glad that I had these. So but yeah, they're working. Yay. <laughs> uh, so Cindy spends her summers at SUNY Purchase. Uh, doing Teatro Nuevo, and she just worked with Ann Bogart doing The Handmaid's Tale. So I think it's funny that even though none of us have actually met any of you, that <laughs> there's still connections, there's all these everybody's weird, connection. Yeah, and the and the other one in there with The Handmaid's Tale was Jennifer Johnson Cano, who yes. I also did an opera program with in Italy called Si Parla Si Canta. And so we spent an entire summer together, and it's just extra funny, that little theater tight-knit community thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're all related somehow at some point, especially somehow. in the opera world. <laughs> yeah, right. especially opera. It's so tiny. So then how did you two meet and get together and start doing projects? Um, through Cities Fall Intensive, we um, took it at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how we met. I graduated their conservatory program and then decided to do an internship with them for that fall intensive. Um, I met a lot of wonderful artists, including uh, Suzanne. So it was really uh, just a perfect, perfect kismet right there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> wonderful meeting you too. <laughs> uh, so tell us more about... I was reading the webpage and I see that you guys work for 10C, but it's through Silver Glass Productions. Could you explain more of those two companies, how they work together? Is it the same company? Yes. Um, 10C is really like the, the name for the company itself. And Silver Glass Productions is the presenter, presents the performances. It's the nonprofit through under which 10C operates. Oh, okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. So when you do a performance, it's the website under Silver Glasses where people find the information for the 10C performances. Right. Yes, because Silver Glass is going to be doing all the promotion for it um, and all the marketing, advertising, uh, the development. Yeah, that's that's where you're going to find it. Yep. Got it. We'll link that site so people can uh, find it. Now, these plays that you guys are, I, 
I don't know about plays or movement pieces that you do. How do you, can you explain what those are? Since m- most people are probably familiar with a book musical, they go in, they hear and see things. Your guys is more based on movement. Can you explain how that all works or how you came up with the idea to do these? Okay. The idea, um, I, I have a master's in electrical engineering and an MFA in playwriting. So this marries two of my loves, um, science and art. And so that's, that's how, um, that's how we started um, doing it. Um, We wanted to do stuff. We wanted to treat topics that were important questions for the 21st century, Um, dealing with things that might be a little bit different um, is particularly because we're coming from a scientific technological bent. Um, then there are also what happens is you there are philosophical and moral questions that get folded in with the advent of these technologies or the concepts um, through like physics. So um, that's that's where the idea has come from for it. And the yeah, and the the exploration of those concepts, you know, we're we're doing them we're trying to explore them through movement in a way um, that that conveys a little bit more than simply, you know, writing a ABC plot play where someone comes up into those, you know, issues and and are trying to find a little bit of a deeper, I think, impact on humanity overall um, in in regard to what what we're able to explore with within these concepts. Yeah, and f- following off on that ABCD plot, we it, it, it's re- it is a focus of our work not to be traditional in the way that we develop. Um, uh, so, so it's our approach is more like abstract postmodernism, um, where we're looking for the audience to be a much more active part of the process and what they bring in viewing something with their history and their uh, their view of the world and what they're taking from the piece becomes more of uh, it's more paramount importance. Do you interact with the audience a lot during these pieces? No, I would not say that we're an immersive company, um, but we may go out to the audience a little bit, but we wouldn't say, for example, have audience members, at least so far, we have not had audience members as um, bringing them into the um, the action of, of the performance. You guys have a piece opening August 26th, correct? Called Life. How did, how did that piece come about? And what, if you have to describe what that piece is, what is it? Um, for me, I was very interested in how artificial intelligence with the, the huge technological leaps that have been happening really within the last decade, I would say, um, are so significant and the, um, the changes that they've already brought in our lives and the way that we live our day-to-day lives, um, Mm -hmm. became so important to at least me, um, that I was like, you know, hey guys, I, I would like to uh, I would like to take a look and explore this topic, and uh, so that's that was how it was for me. I, I don't know, Jacob. Yeah. Um, no, it. I mean, so the the way that I think this company has really worked is uh, 
Suzanne will start thinking about something that she's really interested in exploring um, subject matter wise. A year ago, we did a, a piece on the concepts of um, chaos theory and absolute zero. And uh, then, you know, it's, it was about, um, well, what do we think is next? And, and AI is certainly a topic that um, I've been personally very interested in and um, just, just how technology affects people's day to day and how that's changing is, is, is really important. And, and for this process, um, uh, you know, the, the three of us members who have, three of our members who have, who have continued myself, uh, Roderick Valentine and Suzanne, we all wanted to, um, uh, also, you know, kind of share the burden as it were. So, the, the, this play itself is really divided into three sections, um, and each of us is tackling directorily a different uh, portion. Um, so Broderick is handling the Prometheus effect, really exploring, you know, this this myth of Prometheus, but now one that we are doing ourselves in the terms of, you know, giving uh, computers their own potential consciousness. And then uh, I'm exp I'm directing the portion involved on human identity, looking at technology and social media and how these things ha are impacting, may impact um, people and humanity going forward. And uh, Suzanne now tackling the machine bias section, um, which is in some ways uh, very darkly already impacting uh, people's lives um, uh, in ways that... Um, we may not be thinking about as a society. And that's, that's kind of the, the goal of, I think our work is to, you know, merge science and art in a way that gets people to think about these, these things differently so that they can, they can, you know, approach the world with hopefully a slightly different and altered view. So if you're doing it and you kind of have three different directors, yeah. How do you guys work together to create one whole piece? Or is it kind of like in three different acts and it's all a bit individualized? Yeah, it's like, it's the last thing. It's your la the last option you chose. Yeah, Broderick yeah. Yeah, Broderick is doing his section. Jacob is doing his section and I'm doing my section. But with all the same performers or do you have different casts or performers for each one of those? Nope, all the same performers, and they are a wonderful, flexible, highly talented group of individuals. <laughs> no, I think that's yeah. better because then they kind of what happens in one rehearsal with one piece with Jacob can totally influence then how you go into your interpretation or your preparation or whatever for the, the next piece. I feel if it was completely different, I feel it wouldn't tie together as much. Or maybe that's just me, but. Yeah, there definitely is a is um, the goal to. I mean, it's all one play, right? Life, yeah. and each of these sections um, have their own their own little story within them. But I think the overall story and something that we are aiming to, especially having the same actors, including myself, in two of the sections, um, is going to carry through as an overall um, story. And that's that's one of our our goals is. You know, how do we bring what are three separate sections and and that they have a, a a feel that is followed throughout. So we've been thinking about that since um, 
the earliest times, like what order should these pieces go in, mm-hmm. um, you know, and <clears throat> we've kind of followed. So each, so one section was developed and then a second section and then a third section. And now we're putting those sections together. Um, so, so kind of, so I think, yes, each section as it's been completed slightly has probably influenced the next section that's about to come up since we've gotten to see each of us create a piece. Yeah. I was thinking of it originally as like you're rehearsing all three sections at the same time. So I was going to ask if you guys all attended each other's rehearsals, but to, to create them section by section makes a lot more sense now that you mentioned are all the other directors it may it may our our, our actors may disagree when they have to relearn all of the first section they they did a month ago so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but are are because you said you're directing one and you're in the other two is it similar with the other directors are is everybody in each other's pieces are you mean are the directors in other people's yeah yeah um jacob Jacob is Broderick was out of the country, so he couldn't be. And I, I, I'm not going to be, yeah, I don't really. So it's me. (laughs) You're more of the background person. I'm Uh, more of the background person. Yes. Excellent. So developing these pieces, how do you go about developing a movement piece that is exploring artificial intelligence? Are are there words or songs or anything or is it all more movement um i i think part of the so how we develop is we'll research and we'll kind of distill the concepts that we want to address which jacob had um already mentioned and and so then we we look at those and we think of how we want to treat them um like for me, for like Jacob's process might be a little bit different, but for me, I kind of, I have images that come to my head and then I write those images down and I start filling the image in um, because we are not going from a, like a, like a traditional play straight through line format. So, so I will have a series of images that, um, it's, it's almost as if like you have the central idea and you have these mirrors surrounding the central idea. And so you're reflecting this aspect of that central idea and this aspect of it. Um, like for, to be more specific, like in my section with machine bias, I'm looking at predictive risk algorithms, mm-hmm. which, sent, which unfairly sentence people of color and it's, it's already happening. So I basically, I have these the, the subject is predictive risk algorithms that unfairly sentence people of color. And then I look at the judge's interpretation of it. I look at how it's affecting a, a person of color. I look at how the company who puts out these predictive risk algorithms is going to look at it, kind of how the programmer mm-hmm. will look at it. So that's kind of like how I develop. But I know Jacob is a, is different. I would say, I would say as far as the, so we, we do wind up getting a script like Suzanne, um, once we've talked about the topics, like she will, uh, for, for my section, her section produces a script that does have language that does have, um, kind of the overall, um, maybe arcs, um, for Broderick, he developed his script inside of, uh, his developmental process. So there was, there was just more kind of points that I know that he was hitting. Uh, I wanted to get texts and all kinds of things uh, because I felt it was really important inside of this human identity section. 
Um, but I'd say in general, um, you know, one of the main tools that, that we use that we, that we all have a good bit of training in is, is the using, uh, viewpoints and the lenses of viewpoints in order to, um, try to shape and, and create, um, out of improv that we bring actors in, um, uh, to create with. So we'll start with a concept or, uh, an idea of a framework or a feeling that um, a certain section evokes uh, and then kind of give actors a pretty big range to um, develop gestures or uh, all kinds of different choreographies potentially. Um, and, but it really varies from, from section to section. Uh, uh, for instance, I have an entire section in the human identity portion that is uh, an improvised duet between two dancers where the music is being live read by um, another one of the actors. And that, that score is essentially uh, uh, a post from a, a Quora article about um, dealing with uh, a lo loss of, of loved ones. Uh, and these two, this dance and this story kind of just happen naturally inside of it. And there's a little bit of framework there, but we, we really do encourage a lot of freedom inside of these pieces. We're not looking for, for like super tight choreography most of the time. I have two questions. One, when you have these performers, do most of them know or have Suzuki training already? Or is that something that you add into the rehearsal process is teaching them Suzuki? I, some of them do. When we audition, I mean, Suzuki Viewpoints is something we are definitely looking for. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has that, but mm -hmm. yes, we do incorporate it somewhat. Well, the viewpoints more than the Suzuki so far as we've been developing, but yes, we incorporate that into our, into the development of every piece. So then my second question is, wait, is I have they, a question going with that. Uh, what is Suzuki that, training? That was going to be I know what it is because where I went to yeah. grad school, that was part of the training. And so I've done multiple shows with Viewpoints and I know Anne Bogart. But for those right. people listening who don't know what this means. Do you mind if I give the, get, get this one, Suzanne? Oh, absolutely, Jacob. So, <laughs> so um, Suzuki, the Suzuki method of actor training or SMAT is, is uh, a hierarchical training technique. It's very classical in styling. It uses... Um, physical movements uh, that are regimented uh, in order to train the body to be able to, to per perform at a very, very high level. It was developed by a man named Tadashi Suzuki and his company, the Scott Company, which is the Suzuki Company of Toga, um, which is in Japan. Um, <clears throat> so this is, this is one half of a training technique that is utilized by the city company which is a which is a group of actors and directors and and all kinds of theater people are amazing company um, and uh, a lot of those actors were training in Japan and Bogart comes out of um, the postmodernist movement um, and particularly utilized the viewpoints techniques that she expanded the viewpoints that were created by Mary Overly um, as a, as a dance creation and, and analyzing technique. Um, and so she basically loved the way that 
the actors, the, particularly these American actors who were using the Suzuki method that they were being trained in in Japan. She loved the way that they were working, which is um, they're just very good. One of the things she said was, oh, they don't they don't stump. They don't move their feet. They don't shift their feet on stage. Right. This is a very big thing uh, that a lot of actors will do if they don't know what they're doing. They're not grounded in a, in a way, you know, you'll see that people pacing for no but real reason. When, when actors are trained in Suzuki method, they move for a reason. Um, so those two techniques, uh, viewpoints, which is very open and, and kind of described as a horizontal, you know, everything is equal, right? You're saying that the text is as equal as movement, which is as equal as the space that everything exists in. With Suzuki method, you're saying, you know, there's the body and the, 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 the text and everything is stacked on top of each other. And they take these two techniques or we take these two techniques and you use them in order to, uh, you know, be an open and controlled, highly, you know, effective actor. Um, so those two things are, are, a wonderful basis. I, I think if, if actors are ever feeling lost, uh, in their methods that they have, uh, I, I suggest nothing more than, than this training. It's, it's what I utilize, um, and, and have found a lot of growth inside of, um, so in general, uh, particularly in America, um, Suzuki is gaining, I'd say in popularity, there are a lot of, um, acting programs that are having it a little bit more and more, um, people who are trained, uh, either by city company members or from, from Toga, um, themselves. Um, uh, but in general, the viewpoints has been a lot more widely accepted. So there's a lot more actors mm -hmm. who, who are, uh, if not well, well trained in the viewpoints or versed in it and have an idea of it. And the nice thing about the viewpoints is, is it's fairly adaptable in, in uh, uh, the trainings that have come out of that postmodern period, as well as uh, just understandings of how, how to use them, which even some of my, my teachers would argue, you don't use the viewpoints, they're, they're just there for you. <laughs> you can't do the viewpoints, right, is like one thing about them. Um, huh. Hopefully that, that is a bit of an explanation. Yeah. We, we yes. good. I guess Danny, we use them as like exercises at the beginning of rehearsal or to like find their character or to like learn about the show and then yeah, staged sure. after that, but then it was like incorporated into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that you're always a you know, when you when you train enough in in something like viewpoints, um it the idea is more is less that oh I can do space or I can do shape or I can do uh, story. It's that you realize that all of these things, right, exist. Um, and one may be more present or more mm -hmm. uh, emphasized in a certain moment. And simply being able to recognize that is the, is the important thing in, in those trainings, being open to that. Um, and then the Suzuki work is really just about, frankly, being really, really present and able to if you've got lines you can say those lines to an open air amphitheater and everyone in the audience can hear you even if you're whispering right like that's that that kind of training um but that's less 
I'd say that the Suzuki work is less um, ingrained into our culture as far as Silver Glass and 10C go, um, but are certainly, I'll use them when I'm directing to help if I'm feeling an actor is not um, uh, grounding in, inside of a performance that, that, I, that you need. You know, it's, those are good tools. You know, like any, any, any company, you know, you have to have your tools that you're going to work with. And it's great to have both of those sets. Yeah, I didn't do a master's and I uh, didn't learn any of this. So that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't hang out with enough actors, apparently, to know any of this. <laughs> well, there's not, not a ton of actors who, who do this. You yeah. know, it's a very, it's, it's a little, it's still not quite as, as popular um, or utilized as much as uh, either of them. You know, Viewpoint is still seen as very dance focused and... Mm -hmm. um, Suzuki, uh, it, it hasn't caught on because it's very hard. You know, it's 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 a very unforgiving training, and expects a lot out of you, um, uh, physically and emotionally, and and <laughs> not 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 all not all people are up for that. I think mean, I could go on forever about Suzuki training, but it, it's a universal form that takes a lot from a lot of classical techniques, including katakali, ballet, um, different, um, many different forms, including, including some, uh, almost martial arts type styles, but is, is, is focused on, uh, connecting, you know, you, uh, performer with your center of gravity in order to be able to perform at, at your, your best, no matter the, the circumstances. Uh, and that's that's the most important thing about it. But that takes a lot of physical effort and a lot of a lot of time to to feel that in, inside of you and to really get that kinesthetic response from from yourself. Um, and to be able to do that with an ensemble is is one of its goals as well. To be in, in unison with a group of actors and in tuned with each other. So, so I, I know you guys don't use that. I mean, you use it as a tool, but it's not solely what you do. But talking about time that it takes. Do you have about how long it takes you to create an entire production? We've talked multiple times in our podcast about uh, opera rehearsals and how long we have for all of those, just because that's what I do. Mm. And it's I, very short. Like we could stage the whole thing in seven days. So, but I'm assuming because you guys are creating from the ground up that it's a very different process. What is that like for you? It takes us about 68 hours to 70 hours to create like an hour and a half show. Oh. Yeah. We could, I, I mean, and trust me, I would, I would love to have more rehearsal. It's one of the things. Oh, that's really yeah. But we can, we can create a really solid show with that amount of time. I guess it's like about an hour for every minute, something like that. It breaks down to. Well, I guess it's a little under because if it's ninety, what it's something like that. Yeah. The the nice thing about having you know what is a company essentially of um, eight-ish actors is you're able to generate a lot of material very quickly because if everyone is, if, if you have eight different people uh, and they're all given the same tasks, they're all going to create something slightly different. And then it's just a matter of deciding, oh, that works better, that works better, that works better. So you can actually create and compose a great deal very, very, very quickly um, as long as everyone's kind of playing the same game. Mm 
And speak in the same language. And speak in the same language. Right. Everybody, both directors and movers, are really active in the creation process. Mm -hmm. So if you go in and you don't have it all set out that these are the exact moves and you're creating it as you go, how do you remember which pieces you like and then get them to the final product? Do you have a stage manager writing down? Do you have a video? Sometimes we videotape. Um, we, um, or we just remember, we're like, Hey, let's keep that. Um, that's really resonating with me. Um, so that's kind of like, that's, that's how we've been doing it. Um, I don't know, Jacob, you want to add anything to that? Yeah. I mean, so we've definitely gotten a little bit of video involved, um, this time around, um, just because I think there has been a, a couple more instances of like, this is going to be choreographed. So like, let's um, get that really solid and send that to actors so they can, you know, really solidify that in their free time, um, which no one actually has. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, they free have, time. they're probably at <laughs> like, work when they're not when in the, the studio. When they're on the subway stuff. on the way to rehearsal because exactly. that's what they're, yeah. That's um, but I'd say, I'd say there's in general, um, like a lot of scenes um, have more of a, a kind of a feel to them and actors are really free to continue to explore space and spatial relationships and kinesthetic response with each other. As long as it is, as long as within the scene um, it is uh, consistent with how it's been. So if an actor is, you know, can frankly be, in in an entirely different place from from run to run, uh, as long as the scene, I think, generally has the same feel. There there are certain actors who will continue their same like floor patterns or whatever consistently, um, and then it's kind of there, there's a lot of there's a lot of flexibility inside mm -hmm. of our inside of our things, um, for the most part. Yeah, for for me, it's it's as if. It, it seems to be like if you're rooted in your impulses and your character, then there may be variations, but the overall feel, as Jacob said, is going to be there. And so it's OK if you're on a different place on the stage, uh, you know, whereas in like traditional blocking, it would be like, you know, go downstage right and say this line or something like that. So we're, we're OK with that as long yeah. As we, as we, as eyeing the movement, still see that it it is serving like what our vision is, I guess, to say. Yeah, and that, you know, you're conscious enough to know, okay, this scene is starting to wrap up and we're moving to what is this shape that we've done, that we do hit every single time because this has a very, you know, solid component. But, and that, you know, that expects a certain um uh competence from your actors and i love working with competent actors who can be super <laughs> free and and uh, whether i'm acting or whether i'm directing like i love working with actors who are like yes i can make a choice and run with it um mm -hmm. and do it and get myself to where i need to be um in sync with everyone else it's really it's 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 quite quite nice and that's a little secret that you know, kind of we only have because an audience is going to see it and may go in and uh, 
say, oh, okay, that was uh, that was all choreographed. That's amazing. And then uh, if they win another night, they would get a different experience. But you never know if that'll happen. So, where do you guys perform at? Do you are you on a traditional stage in a black box wherever you can find? Yes, we've been performing at the Players Theater down in the village. Um, they have a black box theater on their second floor. Um, so yeah, so that's where we've been performing. It's a, it's a nice little space. It's large enough for our size company. And they have that little alcove there, which is also nice. And yeah, so that's where we've been performing. Do you have much in the way of the tech elements, light, sound, costume, props, set pieces? Right now, we're pretty minimalist. I mean, that is something that as we grow, we definitely want to um, increase and expand on those aspects of it. Um, but we also don't want to lose sight of the fact that we're moving into the psychosocial domain, which physicalization really lends itself to that. Um, the fact that you're seeing bodies on the floor and that an audience is going to have this visceral reaction to bodies an emotional reaction to bodies moving in space and the interaction between those bodies, because I think after all, we're trying to affect or at least, at least propose something along the lines of humanity, humanness, and emotion. Yeah. I'd say for uh, a company that's focused on creating science and technology based theater, we are fairly low tech. Yeah. <laughs> we really are very bare bones. It's about bodies and some lights and uh, a little ambiance, really. Um, uh, you know, it's how do you make uh, uh, science uh, human? It's a big, big part of it, I think. So are the clothes just kind of easy movement, yoga pants and stuff like that? Or do you guys go with more of a, everybody wears sort of the same style outfit? That's an interesting question. Last year, it was everybody basically wearing their like, um, not street clothes, but clothes you would work out in. And this year, we've had a little bit more, um, more con not super duper costumes, but more of a uniform look within like in a costuming aspect. I have Sorry, a question about, about your, um, the group of performers that you work with. You mentioned that you have a company. Is it the same set of people that you've worked with year after year, or is there a way to audition into it? How do you choose those, those performers and are they with you for an extended period of time or for one season or just... I guess it's more than one show because you already said you've worked with multiples of them. Right. We have we have a mover that has come to us from last year. I had um, I've asked a couple of other movers. They've had other commitments, but we definitely are looking to have movers to be with us uh, year after year. All in addition to auditioning, because I think you always need to have new blood. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. How would they, would they just get a hold of you? Or I think I see on your website that you have times that you do actual auditioning. Could they just reach out to you and see when those are? Yes, we, but we only audition really once a year and that's in the springtime before we start to get heavy into the development rehearsal process. So then, right. So then they're with you through the, the entire development process. Mm -hmm. That's right. awesome. Yeah, we technically hold auditions for 
the next upcoming piece, basically. Um, so if uh, people come back to us, that means they'll need slightly less, but it, you know, it's that it could change year to year based on availabilities, all kinds of things. But I think we, in general, I think while we want new blood, I think it has been very helpful to have um, some carryover uh, because once you all, once you keep, once you're all speaking the same language, um, that developmental process can go so much more quickly. And we can, we can be, we can that be, I think, even more ambitious while bringing in new people too. Yeah. Do you have a set number? I don't, Sorry, I don't know what to call them. In opera, we call them performers or singers. Stacy calls them actors. Do you call them movers? Do you call them performers? Do you, is it interchangeable for you? Yeah, I would say I would say it's interchangeable. Okay. Do you have a set number of performers that you want when you're first thinking about this piece and you're going into audition? Or do you do the audition and then you see what your pool is and decide based on that pool how many performers you want to cast? Um, we, we typically look for somewhere anywhere between like four and nine, uh, five and nine performers, um, because we know that that is probably going to be enough for us to, um, realize, um, the piece with somewhere along those lines of number. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So you don't feel like you're stuck in, oh, well, we only had six that we really like, but we really need nine people for this piece. No, I think that's part of the flexibility of our group. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that's the case, then, you know, maybe you'll tweak your scenes a little bit differently. How do they audition? If you guys develop with them, what kind of audition process is it? That's been really fun. That's, that's been a really fun thing that we've kind of developed over the last uh, few years. Um, which is we will have groups of people audition at a time and create a small composition together. And we're looking for the way mm. these people start communicating with each other or whether or not they communicate in a similar way to the way that we like to develop. Um, and then, uh, you know, they'll get about, what is it, Suzanne? Like 10, 10 to 20 minutes overall is a slot. And yeah, then, like, mm-hmm. And then we kind of get a final product, you know, they'll develop and then they'll, you know, refine. And then we'll, you know, within 20 minutes, uh, they'll get, have about a two to five minute thing to show us. And we're just looking, we're just looking for mostly like how they're um, working together. Um, and then we'll do that similar thing, that similar framework in a callback as well. So, so you re recombining new groups. Yeah, you do multiple groups of people, and then you find the ones you like, and then you try them out again. Try to mix them up too, so that yeah. they're not someone hasn't worked with the same. You know, it's, it's, it's really it's been super fun, and it's it's a it's one of my favorite parts of the process because the only time I'm on the other side of the table too, which is great. Did it take a while to figure out how to how that was going to work for you? The audition process. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of started doing it this way and we found that it was it was really effective because uh we could see the way that we were doing it um we would introduce we'll introduce like an image and maybe some text and um but typically an image and some music and the idea and we'll ask them to okay 
like create something as Jacob said. And um, so what we found was we um, found that the people that were working together and working off their impulses were the ones that we were gravitating toward. So we mm -hmm. found that the, what the setup that we had in the auditions was actually helping us greatly to make better decisions for what we wanted to achieve as an end product. That sounded really corporate. No, no, I was <laughs> thinking how wonderful that sounds. And I love productions that are that collaborative and that together. And, and you're kind of making that happen from the very onset. But to me, it also just seems like it was such a natural thing for you to do that you really didn't have to put too much thought in. It just kind of flowed naturally and made sense. And so that's what you did. Yes, I think that we definitely had like some kismet there um, with regards to discovering that audition wise. And yeah, it's um, it's really helped because um, that though the type of people that we look for and this is just it's. I say the type of people, but it's just the differences in the way that people work. And we're looking for a certain kind of way that people work that works just for us, you know, for the way that we want. Yeah. To so, yeah, uh, we were, I think we were lucky in that regard. Yeah. Is there anything, well, I just want to talk a little bit more about this production. Is it only two performances on the 26th and 27th? Yes. August? For now. Yes. And you normally only do two productions because I'm out of town, so I can't go see it, which is a bummer. <laughs> well, I will tell you something that we will be videotaping it, so you will be able to see it. I wonder, yeah, I did see on your website that you do have a video of, I think you said it was last year's production, a YouTube video. Right. Chaos and Absolute Zero. Yes. Really fun to watch. It took me back to my my uh, grad school days, because this is what I would watch people do in rehearsal, I feel sometimes, when we would have these like hour long sessions beforehand. <laughs> so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of like, it, it feels weird because I'm not there, but I could feel what is the energy in the room based on the movements that they have. So it's a very interesting thing to watch. So I'm glad that you'll be recording this one so I can see how it, how it all comes together. Yes. And, and we're looking to do more performances next year. We are an early company. So we're still trying to gather resources so that we can um, we can extend our performance run and develop through more of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for example, like we will be developing in the fall for our next project, which is going to be based on quantum mechanics. So Ooh. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that yeah. one does sound fun. They, and you're oh, always at the same thing you said. Oh, I'm sorry. I said you're always at the same venue, correct? Or so far. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We've, had a, we've had a, like a long-term relationship with them. So, um, you know, there's a lot of there. Yeah. So because of our long-term relationship, you know, we know kind of like the landscape. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's good. It's a good fit for us. Agreed. I'm going to have to catch, catch the next one when I'm there. Absolutely. Yeah, we we keep yes. interviewing people in New York and I never get out there to see anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in California. We haven't done too many new things in California recently. You've got you guys are getting better at it. You guys are getting better at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're trying. I mean, we have TV. Everyone's worried about TV and movies over here. Yeah, you guys are pretty focused on that. <laughs> <laughs> so true. true. But yes, anytime you guys are in the city, look, if you want to drop in on one of our developmental sessions, that's totally fine too. 
twin, you can oh, you can do the activities and stuff with them. It's definitely, at least in my experience, being on the other side of the table, it's, you definitely get this like energy in the room, especially when it does click for everybody and everybody's completely focused and centered. It just it just makes the whole room feel different, and it is kind of this like magical experience. I speak in weird language sometimes, but <laughs> for a stage manager that usually doesn't speak like this, but it is a, a very different energy to, to be surrounded by people who are all that focused and together and can feel each other and kind of sense the next person's movement. Or like you said, you know, sense what's going to happen next and just all work together. So it's a really awesome. And I'm, a, I'm sure audience members feel the same thing during performance. I certainly hope so. you know and we have like a real I mean I I don't know I don't know about you Jacob but I just feel that they are a great group um they I really can't say enough about how wonderful the people that we have been working with for this this production life I mean the the cast the movers the performers they have been incredible yeah it's a really special show um and I think I think everyone is really pouring their, their heart and soul into it um, mm-hmm. and, and are very um, engaged in the material. I think everyone, um, all of these people um, who have come in uh, so recently have just realized how immediately important the subject matters that we are discussing are that, mm-hmm. you know, this, this in particular artificial intelligence and the more and more the technology interacts with humans on a daily basis is affecting us. And in some, sometimes it's uh, good. Uh, and we probably have not questioned enough how much of it is perhaps to our detriment or yeah, who knows. So that's kind of where we're hoping audience will, um, you know, wake up a little bit with us. Uh, so our last question is, do you have any exciting or interesting twin stories? They don't have to be theater related. We just find them very entertaining. I, well, I'll just say this. I had a cousin who had twins and I remember when she had them and I was just like, I basically knelt down in front of her and prostrated myself <laughs> because I've been, a, I'm a mother, but I've only had single births and she was sitting there with both of them. And I'm like, honey. I'm giving you the crown. (laughs) I was like, I would just be like, I don't know. I would have like PTSD or something like that. (laughs) And then you have to try to change the diapers and feed them and wrangle them. And yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. But you guys now you and you and Stacy, you what's a, what's a a twin story with you guys? Because it's great. Oh, well, sorry. I don't mean Jacob. Jacob also has a story. I'm so sorry, Jacob. Twi- a twin story? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Uh, a twin story. I, I uh, well, I went on uh, Birthright with a lovely set of twins. They were wonderful people who completed each other's sandwiches constantly. Um, <laughs> uh, but honestly, my favorite, my favorite twin story, which is a little, maybe a little... I don't know if it's dark or not, but but I love the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So it's not really a twin story, but there's that there's the moment where like her aunt Tula like goes up to the husband. She's like, "All my life, I had a lump, 
on the back of my neck. Oh yeah, and it ended up being a <laughs> and twin. She's like, <laughs> and she's like going up to like you know his parents who have met this woman for the first time, and they're like drunk off booze. It's just one of the most incredible. She's like, she's like when I went on the menopauses, it discovered it was growing, and it turned out they did a bubopsy, <laughs> and inside the inside the lump was hair and a tooth. Yes, that lump was my twin. And it's like just one of the things <laughs> just like has I've it's my favorite film for whatever reason. I don't know why. It just is. It's perfect. And I always think about that. Um but every pair of twins that I've met are uh, lovely and and you guys have been lovely as well. So it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad one of us was not a lump on the other one. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. I'm happy neither of you are the lump either. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. We, I guess there's two two stories that come to mind when you ask us stories, and they're both actually not stories that either of us will remember because we are too young, but, well, very young. Um, the first one was Stacy. I came out first. I was born four minutes early. Or not Rub early, it in. Rub it early. in. I was born yep. first. Um, but Stacy came out with a black eye and what the doctor thinks happened is she was supposed to come first and I got in front and then used her to like, stepped on me. And was like, no, 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 this is how I'm doing it first. So, <laughs> one story. But the other one is apparently we didn't really start talking until we were almost three years old. And it's, People ask our parents, you know, did they have their own language? And they said, no, they just didn't talk. They were just able to communicate with each other through like movements and looking at each other. And they just like, we knew what we needed from each other and we just didn't communicate with anybody. So they were a little- We need to get you guys into the next piece. You guys can do that, you know, no talking communication. (laughs) (laughs) Just just stare at each other. other. Yeah. So they said they were a little worried in the beginning that we were just weren't going to talk at all ever because, you know, but, it, you know, who needs to? I had I had a twin. We just took care of each other. I didn't need to communicate with the outside world. So, yeah, they so. fed us. They changed our diapers. We're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Those all. Are two of my favorite stories, even though we don't remember them, but it's what our family likes to tell on a regular basis. So. Yeah, comes up all the time. Love it. Every yeah. birthday. <laughs> Sounds exactly. like the world needs more twins. <laughs> Maybe. Or slightly creepier. Or slightly creepier. People get shutting around everywhere. Clones. <laughs> you could do a whole piece on clones, because that's another thing. Oh, another you sh- never know. Might come up. Exactly. <laughs> but I want to thank you guys so much for having us on. It was so yeah. wonderful. I, yeah, I, I haven't spoken about these things actually in a while so it was awesome to talk about and awesome to learn about and to learn about your company so thank you so much for sharing with us anytime anytime and uh, uh, break a leg (laughs) we talk over each other all the time break a leg on your show which is coming up real fast coming up super fast Yes, and I don't know if I can say this, but if people are looking for a discount, they can go to Ovation Ticks, look up life with the discount code AI2019, AI2019, and that will give them a big discount. Yeah, it's a good deal. Ovation Tickets, excellent. We will post that and try to get people to go see your show and advertise even more. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. And listen, if you're in town, call me up. We'll have coffee or you come see one of our dev sessions. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I will do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to go to that coffee, too. <laughs> okay. Coffee with both of you. <laughs> Fantastic. Totally. Thank so, you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Have Bye. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.